Thank you, Jacob, for sharing your story with us. Um, it's much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, our uh, fall study that we're going through right now is knowing God. Much of what Jacob was talking about there is knowing God and coming to know him in a, in a deeper and more real and more personal way, uh, even in the midst of, of, of crises in his life. Um, so our, our goal here through the study is that we would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent to give us eternal life. And there's a progression there. To know God is to know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know true and abundant life. Uh, so each week we'll look at passages from the Old Testament and New Testament to see how they both uh, point us to this uh, true God and through Jesus and this true life. And this week, I want to start you off with a question. Um, if someone came to you and they asked you to describe God, what would you say? How would you answer that question? Let's just say you're at the family gathering and Jacob's uh, grandfather pulls you aside for a teachable moment and says, Now, son, what is God? What would you say? Uh, there may be some of you that wouldn't have an answer. Maybe you're here today and, and you, don't, you don't know God or you don't understand God and you're not honestly sure what you would say. Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm thankful that you're here. We want to be the kind of church uh, that is loving people that don't know the answers to these questions and inviting them into a place where they can ask these questions and learn. So if you don't know the answer, I'm glad you're here. Uh, maybe you might give... Uh, if you're here and you have an answer, you might give a philosophical answer. You might say that God is the great uncaused cause or that God is the highest good. Uh, maybe if you are a uh, you've been immersed in the Bible and you, you've been immersing yourself in the attributes of God, you might uh, start quoting scripture. And you might say uh, God is light. God is life. God is almighty. God is most wise. God is most powerful. You might, you might start rattling off those, um, those attributes. Uh, if, you were, if you were raised in the church and you memorized the catechism, you might start reciting the catechism. God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. To which your parents would be very proud of your Sunday school teachers. Uh, most, uh, those are all great and good answers. Uh, most, most modern people might say that God is love. That's a very popular answer right now. That, that, that if you are spiritual at all, if you have any concept of who this higher power might be, you might say that he is love. Now, you might put a different definition in there for what love is, and we'll talk about that later. But, but the idea of God being love is very popular right now. Um, well, when Christians begin to describe God, there's, there's something about him that undergirds all those truths. Yes, we believe that, he is, that all, he's all those attributes that, we, that we're going to recite from the catechism. He is infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He is loving, true, just, and powerful. But there's one thing that undergirds all those other things, and that is that God is Trinity. That God is triune. That he is Trinitarian. What do I mean when I say that? It's a theological word, right? Uh, what Christians believe is that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so to truly know God is to know the Trinity, to know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's as you know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you know love. And that you begin to understand more of the depths of all those other attributes that we're going to talk about and we're going to study. Um, this question of who is God or what is God, it is not just a, a, an esoteric question. It is, it is a fundamental foundational question to your life. Uh, A.W. Tozer famously said that the most important thing about us is what we think about when we think of God. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not where he at a given time might say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceive God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of individual Christians, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. It's the most important thing we have to consider is who is God? Who is this Trinitarian God? So we're going to simply answer three questions this morning. What is the Trinity? Why is it unique? And how is it practical? What is the Trinity? Why is it unique? And how is it practical? So when Christians talk about God being Trinitarian, when God, they talk about God being three in one, um, they, they talk about it that way because that's how God reveals himself. That's how he introduces himself to us in Scripture, in Genesis 1-1, right? Um, you know, before the world's even created, it says, in the beginning was God. And that word God there in Hebrew is Elohim. It's actually a plural word that we translate as singular because we don't believe in many gods. We believe there's one God, but it's a plural word. Then we see in verses 2 and 3 um, that, that there's, there's, there's um, other forces at work here with this God. There's uh, the spirit who hovers over the water like a bird hovering over a nest, fluttering her wings. That word, that, that concept there is used elsewhere in Scripture of a, a bird hovering over the nest. And then it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Notice he didn't say, um, he said, said, let, God said, let there be light. There was a word. There was a word that was powerful that, that spoke this into creation. Uh, and John tells us in John 1, 1 that we read that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were created, and that word was Jesus. And so here, in the beginning, we see, but before the beginning of the world, before the beginning of time, there was Father, Son, and Spirit. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, existing outside of time, before time. Uh, See, we can only conceive of time as on a line. 
But what the word shows us is that God is like a, a dot outside of that line, or like a circle, a whole complete circle outside of that line. He, he is separate from time. The rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, continues to reveal this in different ways. In the Old Testament, uh, you have these strange visitations uh, of people in the scriptures from the angel of the Lord. And that, that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus. Uh, there's a couple different spots where you see this. There's actually several spots. But, but one is whenever um, uh, Hagar is Hagar's Jacob's, um, not Jacob's, Abraham's mistress that is sent out into the wilderness. And, and the, the angel of the Lord visits Hagar in the wilderness. Uh, and then whenever um, Samson is born, the angel of the Lord comes and announces Samson's birth to his mother or, or his conception to his mother. Uh, and then in Daniel 7, there's a, there's a description of one who's a son of man, a divine warrior. And then in Ezekiel 37, there's this description of the Spirit of God that renews people. And so you see this, you see God, and you see the angel of the Lord, you see the Son of Man, you see the Spirit, all revealed gradually through the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, whenever Jesus comes and he's baptized, we see the most clearest picture of this triune God. When Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and they saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So you have Jesus, the Son of God, and you have the Father of God speaking down on Jesus, and you have the Spirit of God coming to rest on Jesus. Jesus himself reveals this whenever he prays. It's recorded in John 13 through 17. It's on his final night with the disciples. It's like the final huddle before the big game. And he pulls them in close and he's teaching them the most essential instructions that he needs to leave with them at the end. And he begins to pray to his father. He says, me and the father are one. And I used to be in you and you're in me. And now I want these people that you've given me to be with me. And then he starts talking about the spirit who's the helper, who's going to come and be with them. He's talking about, he's talking to the father. He's with the father. And you have the spirit that is coming from Jesus there. There's one and three and three and one. And then Jesus says this really pregnant Profound thing in John 17, 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Uh, somebody asked me this week at a cross country meet yesterday. It's so funny when you're, I guess being a pastor is kind of like a doctor and you're just kind of always on call. I'm at a cross country meet and a friend comes up to me and, and I don't know if he had this like question locked and loaded or what, but like the second thing in his mouth was like, hey, so tell me, what was God doing before creation? <laughs> he was like, well, in God's providence, I'm actually preaching about this tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus tells us right here that before the creation of the world, the Father was loving the Son. Think about that. The Father was loving the Son. How was He loving the Son? Well, Romans 5 5 tells us that when God loves us, He pours His Spirit into our hearts. So, God, before the foundation of the world, was the Father loving the Son through the Spirit. 
what God was doing. That's who God is. That's the, the, very, the very heart of who God is. And that's why John says that God is love. God is love because God is Trinitarian. Because before the foundation of the world, it was the Father loving the Son through the Spirit. This idea of God is a self-giving love, an overflowing love. It's like a, it's like a fountain of love. Uh, it reminds me of when I was a kid, my family took me to, to Yellowstone National Park. And when you go to Yellowstone National Park, what do you see? You see all faithful. That guy's just going to shoot up water. His faithfulness is going to overflow in this massive geyser. That's what, that's what God is. God is old faithful. That is this fountain of love that overflows from Father, Son, and Spirit into creation and into us. From cover to cover, the Bible teaches that God is Trinitarian, that he's three in one, and that he is love. That he is the Father loving the Son through the Spirit. Uh, there's a great book called Delighting in the Trinity uh, by Michael Reeves. I highly recommend it. Um, but he talks in there about the importance of this. And he talks about how it's, it's, there, there's really no other way to conceive it outside of the Bible. He says it's, you know, some people try to conceive the Trinity as it's like a, it's like a three-leaf clover. Like they're all joined at one spot and then they all branch out. And he's like, eh, that's wrong. And then some people try to conceive the Trinity like uh, different states of water. Like um, that you've got water can be a solid or water can be a liquid or water can be a gas. And he said, eh, that's wrong. Because what you're doing, if you say that, is that God is existing in different modes of being. And so the Father uh, doesn't stay the Father, but he becomes the Son. And the Son doesn't stay the Son, but he becomes the Spirit. And if you think about that logically, that doesn't make sense. Right? If, if Jesus transformed into the Spirit, whenever the Spirit came to us, then there would be no Jesus in heaven. And there would be nobody to intercede for us right now. The church has declared that a heresy for about the last 1,500 years. Some people want to say that, uh, that, Jesus, that the Trinity is like three parts of an egg. I don't know why you'd say that. I think you just may. People are going to laugh at you if you say that. It's not, it's not, not only is it biblical, it's just silly, right? The, the, the way to understand what God is and who he is is to understand how he's revealed in his word. And I think this baptism is the best picture of that. To understand God as the Father speaking these words of love down to his Son and the Spirit resting on him and him experiencing the Father's love. Um, is this mind-blowing? Yes. Can we conceive of this? We cannot comprehend the Trinity. We cannot comprehend God. Yeah, theologians say we can apprehend God, and we can understand something of him, but we can't have comprehensive knowledge of him, otherwise it wouldn't be God. And you may be out there and you say, well, I just can't imagine a God that would be like this. Well, okay. Maybe your imagination is not big enough. Uh, N.T. Wright is a, is a New Testament scholar that is very well known for his uh, uh, scholarly investigation of the person of Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, he's been, he done a series of debates with someone about the nature of heaven and they, where they traveled around and they debated the nature of heaven. And in all their debates, uh, the guy that was opposing him kept saying, I just can't imagine this place where Jesus would exist. You know, N.T. Wright saying that Jesus right now is in a parallel universe, a parallel place, dimension that we can't see. 
And this guy just said, Cain, I can't imagine this. I can't imagine this. And finally, right, just looked at him and said, maybe your imagination is not big enough. If you're sitting out there this morning going, I just can't imagine this God is three in one. Maybe the problem's not with God. Maybe the problem's with you and your imagination. And this is not just a challenge for us. This is a challenge to religions all over the world because the Trinity is unique. That's the second thing I want you to see. It's unique. It's totally unique. Um, Every other religion essentially has a God that is unipersonal. Uh, One God one person. And that one God, one person affects their view of creation and their view of people and the view of the world. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a Babylonian creation myth called the Enuma Elish. Uh, and in that, there, the God, there's the God Marduk. And the God Marduk says, I will create mankind so I can have slaves. That way the gods can sit back and live off the labor of their human workforce. So this God created out of his own neediness. He needed slaves. He needed someone to work for them. And so he created. He's not a loving God. If you just have one God and one person, then that God is essentially lonely and needy and weak. Uh, it's not too awful different than the, um, the Islamic version of God. They call Allah. Allah is independent. Allah is one. And for all of Allah's power, Allah had to create not out of love, but out of power because he needed something. And they would tell you that this Allah is not a personal being that you can come to know in love, but Allah just is. Um, If you take a philosophical view, maybe you think about Aristotle and Aristotle's great uncaused cause. And the problem with Aristotle's great uncaused cause is that creation just sort of oozed out of him. There was not a a loving, intentional uh, creation um, that is separate from and independent from. It was just something that happened. And so you have all these other creation views and, and views of God that are essentially one God, one person, and this, the, these gods created out of their need. But what you have in Christianity is one God in three persons, whole, complete, <coughs> loving, completing, com, com, creating not out of neediness, but out of love. And that changes everything. We, even as Christians, sometimes we fall into this trap of of viewing God not as the Father, Son, and Spirit existing in love, but but actually taking on false views of God. I remember um, when I posed this question as a young kid, I remember uh, asking, like, why did God create the world? And I remember one of the, the reasons I was given was that God needed something to love. Well, if God needed something to love, then he can't actually love me. He's actually got to use me. And that's not what we see in Scripture where it says that God is love. Uh, We also, um, in in modern man, we also uh, create um, different ideas of God that aren't, um, we, we, you know, we take God, we take the vision of God that we have in the Bible and we distort it and we twist it. Uh, if, we don't, if we don't start with a Trinitarian view of God, then we end up having a God who puts us on a treadmill. 
a God who we are constantly trying to uh, appease and approve of and make sacrifices to, and all of our different um, all of our different spiritual disciplines are coming to church, are playing in the worship band, are reading our Bibles, are serving people. They all become ways that we try to appease God and appeal to this God. And that's, that's no different than, than people who worship idols all over the world. Uh, I was talking to uh, Ben this week. Ben is one of our, our missionaries who's been here worshiping with us. And him and his wife are joining the church. And uh, we were talking to Bible study. And he, he was telling me, we were talking about um, last week's lesson. But he, he told me about a, a, a woman he heard about on the mission field who was in her 60s or 70s. And every day she would walk barefoot up a, uh, up a, up a hill 3,000 feet to get to her god of stone that was on the top of the mountain because she thought that's what she needed to do to earn his favor. And she did that every day. Now, we might laugh at that or snicker at that, but how many of us take the same approach to our God here? That we look at all of our spiritual disciplines, we look at all of our work, all of our effort, and, and, and we, we transform that into just a... a a climbing, a striving up the mountain to try to appease God. Do we take that form of God, which is essentially a legalistic form of God? Or some of us, we take God and we, we twist him and distort him, and we take this idea that God is love, and we fashion this loving God into a God who will affirm whatever we want to do. Because God is love, I can do anything. And I can say, well, God is love, so why would he not want me to do what I find most loving? Uh, I was uh, read a story this week about a pastor who uh, a man came to him and the man said, you know what? Um, I have decided that I'm going to leave my wife and my kids. And I went and talked to this, uh, this one minister and this one minister told me, he, uh, I said, hey, I, I really feel like what God wants me to do is to leave my wife and kids. I feel like he needs to love my, I need to love myself first. And this is what is most loving. So this is what I want to do. What do you think? A minister said, sure, God is love. God wants you to be in love. He wants you to love yourself, and so you should go and do it. And so he asked his other minister, and he said, what do you think about that? And the minister said, well, yeah, I believe God is love, and I believe God loves your wife, and he loves your kids, and he loves marriage, and he loves your law. He loves his law. And because he loves your wife and your kids and his law and marriage, you need to repent and you are going to be under condemnation if you leave your wife and your kids and you pursue loving yourself. You see, God's law comes from his love. His holiness comes from his love. His love is a holy love, and his holiness is loving. And what we've done in our sins, we've taken God's love and we use that as a way to rubber stamp every thought, feeling, and desire we have to justify things that actually hurt other people. But the view we see of God in the Bible is not a God who is self-centered and selfish. It's a, it's a view of God that is self-giving and self-loving and self-sacrificial. And that's where this, this idea of the Trinity becomes um, not just theoretical uh, and not just um, a, a debate or an argument for us to win against non-Christians. It becomes eminently practical. And that's the last thing we see is that the, the Trinity is practical. It's practical. If God is the Father, 
Son and Spirit. If He has always existed as the Father loving the Son through the Spirit, then knowing Him means knowing love. It means knowing true love. It it means knowing um, a God that is not only uh, just and holy, um, but He is loving. And a a God who's not alone loving, but He's just and holy. And it's a God that you can come into a relationship with. A God that you can be transformed by. A God who can actually call you as sons and daughters. Uh, You see, if we have one God who is unipersonal, but one God, one person who exists uh, for us to meet his needs, then essentially all we have is a traffic cop. And you will never love a traffic cop God. Uh, A couple years ago, I went on a ski trip with some of my friends. My brother-in-law, Joseph, was there. He can tell you the story. And uh, we, were, I, we actually got lost, which is not a surprise. And I, I took the wrong route, and I ended up driving through some small town in um, Colorado uh, on our trip. And as we're going through some small town in Colorado, I got lost in my talking, which is also not a surprise. And I was speeding through this small town. And I got pulled over by the cop as I was leaving this small town. And uh, the cop comes up, and he starts talking to us. Hey, guys, you know, where are you going? What are you guys doing? That sort of thing. And he's kind of being buddy-buddy. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, we're going on a ski trip, yada, yada, yada. Like, we're some friends. I think he asked me what I was doing. Somehow I came up that I was a pastor. I told him, yeah, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, okay. You know, so he gets all my information. He goes back, and he's going to run his ticket. And I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to get out of this ticket. This guy's going to be my friend. He's my buddy. He knows I'm a pastor. So I'm, I'm good. He comes back. He gets to the window. He's got the sheet of paper in his hand. Uh, and he says, do you know what Romans 13 says? <laughs> he said, yeah, I, I, I do. And he says, you know, it says to submit to the law in your land. He goes, yeah, you, you need to watch your speed. And he hands me a ticket. <laughs> They're great. Right? So here in that situation, I thought, best case scenario, I just made a new friend. Maybe this guy is just going to give me a warning and he's going to let me go. And I would be really grateful for that. Worst case scenario is what happened. He wrote me a ticket. I kind of respect him for writing a ticket. It was kind of annoying. But he did his job. Either way, there was no way I was actually going to have a relationship with that cop. There was no way that I was ever going to love that cop. The best we could be would be grateful. The best we could be is buddies, and the best I could be is grateful. If you merely have a view of God as a traffic cop, then at best, you will merely be grateful for what he has done for you. And you'll never actually be able to keep the law which says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't do it. But, if you have a view of God that is personal, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then that is a God that you can love. That is a God that you can know. And that is a God who has come to know you. Let's imagine that that cop, that, that, I, that I have broken his law. And not only have I broken his law, that maybe I had gone to his house and I had, um, I don't know, I had killed his wife and children. And then he came to arrest me, and he threw me in prison. 
And I had my trial for murdering his wife and children, and he brought me, they brought me to the trial, and that cop said, came to the trial, and instead of convicting me, which I would rightly deserve, he had one child left. It was like take your daughter to work day. And he said, I want to offer this one child to pay the penalty for this man so that he could go free. Because I'm going to love this man that hated me and my family. And he offered his one and only child to pay the price for my sin so that I could go free. How would I view that man? I wouldn't just be grateful. I would love him. And I would want to give my life for him. That's what happens in the gospel. That we, when we fashion our own views of God, we are actually rejecting the Lord of the universe that loved us and created us. Uh, that we are rejecting him, that we're, we're rebelling against him, and that, that, that our sin runs so deep that we, um, the people in the, the Bible and us by proxy through them, um, God gave his only son in Jesus, and we killed him. That he had to be sacrificed for our sins, but God the Father loved us so much that he was willing to give his only son to die for us. But he didn't stay dead. The Spirit came and raised him from the dead and renewed him and gave him this resurrection body and then ascended him up into heaven where now he sits and all of us, by faith in Jesus, actually get the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts so we could not merely be grateful for that God, but we could actually love him and know him in a real and personal way. To know the Trinity is to know the true God and to know his love. And when you do that, that's when you begin to love others as God has loved you. The love of God overflows into our hearts in this self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And we begin to love others out of that love. Uh, I, I saw a commercial this week that made me envious. And it was not a normal envious commercial. Normally it would be like a car or something like that. This commercial it showed a dad <clears throat> who drove to some like beautiful, idyllic, like remote spot on the side of the highway. Oh, yeah, actually, he started out like Home Depot, and he bought all this stuff, and you don't really know what he's going to do with it, but he buys all this stuff. He goes out to this idyllic spot on the highway. He takes a tarp. He spreads out this tarp from the road out into the field. He folds up the tarp. He stakes it down. He takes this baby oil that he got. He covers the tarp in baby oil. Uh, he gets these inflatable toys that he's got. He puts up the inflatable toys. One of them is like a little like beachy looking thing. And he's got some rafts. And so he's got basically like a gigantic slip and slide set up right on the side of the road. And so it shows him there with all this set up. And then this car pulls up on the side of the road. And these kids get out. And it's his kids. And these kids realize that the father has set up this gigantic slip and slide on the side of the road just for them. And the whole family gets out of the car and they begin to enjoy the slip and slide and they slide on the tubes and the husband and wife, they slide on the tubes and they're just, I mean, it is bliss. It is true life. It's the life that we, we all want, we all dream of. And I just thought to myself, that's the kind of dad I want to be. I want to be the dad that overflows with so much love that I would spend a ridiculous, stupid amount of money on a slip and slide at Home Depot and I would set it up on the side of the road for my kids 
because I love him so much. That's the kind of Heavenly Father we have. We have a Heavenly Father that overflows with love so much that he is giving us everything that we need for life and godliness, including his Son and including his Spirit. And when, when we, that love overflows into our hearts, it overflows into other people. Old faithful wells up inside of us and we just can't help but splash it on everyone. To know the Trinitarian God is to know the God of love and to experience his love and express it to others. Now let's pray that we would know that God. Let's pray that we would love that God. And let's pray that we would love others with the overflow of the love that he's given us. Please pray for me. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this, this true and beautiful and good picture of who you are and how you have loved us. We thank you for being Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, We thank you for loving each other before the foundation of the world. We thank you for creating us out of love, for redeeming us out of love, and for filling us with your love through Jesus. We pray that you would help us to believe in you, to believe in that love, to receive it, and to give it to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, This morning, we're going to confess our faith together uh, from the way.